Today is Sunday, March 12th, 2023, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage, the Boston Celtics. Episode 503 featuring Barstool Sports, Dan Greenberg, powered by FanDuel and HelloFresh. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a $200 bonus on your first bet for, of at least $5 or more. And go to HelloFresh.com, use the promo code BEAT60 for 60% off and free shipping. All right, everybody, Evan Valenti with you. Dan Greenberg here as well. Celtics speed here on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, filling in for Kaufman. Kaufman schedule with WBZ. Little nuts right now. Feel for him greatly. I'm stepping in to take over for just today. Kaufman will be back next week. Hopefully we'll see how it goes. But coming with you with one of my favorites, Dan Greenberg. Always willing to jump on. Dan, always appreciate you having me on. Um, this is, I, I forget, like this is like the third or probably the fourth time I think we've had you on this season. So recurring, recurring guest, Dan Greenberg. Much easier to do uh, coming up wins, I think. Oh, man, I love it. I got to tell you, it's been a – they lost three games in a row, and all of them were heartbreaking. We're going to get into that in a second later on in the show. Uh, But two-game winning streak against the Portland Trailblazers, Atlanta Hawks last night, uh, 134-125 the score. We're going to get into something a little bit later. Um, Since there's only 14 games left in the season, we're going to talk a little bit about – Things that I'm worried about and some things I'm not so worried about as we get towards the playoffs because there's not a lot of games left. Uh, it's, I don't know, if, Dan, would you call this the toughest part of the calendar? Because it's like the, the playoffs are right there and I, they're within reach. And we've been all, all we've been talking about is playoffs, matchups, and oh, I can't wait for playoffs. Like this to me is the toughest time of the year, I think. It's interesting. I think it, it all depends, right? Because there's an argument to be made you know, the dregs of the regular season getting up for every game might be tough. Once you get to this part of the year, you know, some teams are lottery bound. They're going to be, you know, tanking it in. But given how close the seating is in both conferences, Mm -hmm. I think the play-in has really sort of limited the we're just going to punt on the last month of the season idea. So, I'd agree with you overall, at least for the Celtics now, given where they are with, you know, their little skid that they just had, how good teams around them are playing. This is by far their toughest and most important part of the season. As yeah. it should be. In the middle uh, right now in the, of a six-game road trip here, I'll see you get to this later, but, like, they're right now on the road in Atlanta. They play in Houston tomorrow night, Monday. Uh, that should be a tough one. Uh, Minnesota. But yeah, even still, the Rockets can get hot, and they'll beat you if you're, yeah. you know, dicking around. So I, hear, I totally hear you. Anybody, like this is the NBA with it, where offense is insane right now. Anybody can get hot for a game. Uh, Minnesota, Portland, Utah, and then light the beam, Sacramento uh, at the end, the hardest one at the end, uh, which is really tough. Again, six game road trip uh, for the Celtics. But I want to talk about last night a little bit. Uh, Hawks one uh, one twenty five, sees one thirty four, uh, a nice win, two in a row. Good to get back on the winning track. Um, I'll say this, uh, if the Celtics line up with the Hawks in the first round, I'm going to be thrilled. Um, I know people are like, oh, Trey, the playoffs had that one run. I'm not sweating that. Uh, that team last night looks a little rudderless. I feel honestly bad for Quinn Snyder, who's going to try to come in here and and put this together. Uh, But like, I, I, I just, 
defensively, neither team at certain points last night, Dan, wanted to really play a lot of defense. I mean, especially in that first quarter. Uh, the Suffolk scored 71 points at halftime, which is just an awful number. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. They're one of the, they're one of the teams where stylistically they're just a bad matchup, right? The, the Hawks are in the bottom third in the league, I think, in three point shooting, both in terms of volume and percentages. And, but they're really good from two. Whereas the Celtics, it's it's flipped, right? Like, if you can't match and hang with them from behind the arc, unless they have, uh, you know, 7 of 44 percent or 7 from 44 showing against you, they're, the way that they play is just not a good matchup for Atlanta. If they're also not going to be able to get stops on the defensive end, you add that with just the basic basketball math of trading twos for threes, and it's a bad matchup, but... We did see last night that if the Celtics are going to play them in a playoff series, they can't mess around on the defensive end like we saw last night. I mean, the offense was great. The shots were dropping, but that was a level of defense that will get you beat in the playoffs. And I think everybody recognizes that. And that's obviously the biggest thing to tune up these last 14 games. Yeah. And that's, and the offense comes and goes. And we all know that. I mean, this team, and get red hot. They got red hot for the first couple months of the season. We're like, what, 21 and five or whatever. And just wiping the floor with teams. And then sometimes they just, they don't shoot the ball well, particularly. And then like, you know, go back to that, that loss against the Knicks where they were just ice cold from three point range the entire game. Defense has to be this team's calling card. It was last year. Um, they have relatively the same team. It shouldn't be a team that's bad on defense. And but, last you know, night, it, it's the switching even, stuff. Yeah. Even if you think like, there's no way this current group can get back to a defense last year that was basically historic. Fine. Okay. I'm not going to fight you there. You still can't be giving up 120. You know, like there's a, a balance there between this defense we saw last year that just suffocated everybody and the game we saw last night where they had two quarters of over 36 points. They gave up 50% shooting in the fourth quarter. Like, there's a balance there where you can still play an acceptable level of defense and not be the generational group that we saw last season. Right. I, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's look, uh, it got to a point last year defensively where they were just mopping the floor with teams. And a lot of that revolves around Rob Williams being just an absolute freak show. Uh, obviously we don't have Rob things are a little bit different, but um, it's, it's one of the, that. It's that, and there was sort of the desperation of their situation, right? Like, right, right. Fighting they had, they had to, like, they had and, to play that way, yeah. And their offense wasn't as good, so it's like, right. man, we're not. There's a chance we might not score 115, 120 points tonight. Now their offense is a billion times better, so in theory, that gives you wiggle room defensively. But again, once you come time to the second season, and when these games truly matter. You can't have multiple 35-point quarters. That's just – it doesn't matter if you're playing the eighth seed, the seventh seed, or you're in the conference finals. That's just – that's not good enough defense when the games truly matter. And I think everybody yeah. knows that. Yeah, totally agree. And I got to be honest with you, last night, uh, a couple of the numbers are like kind of eye-popping, like 55% from the field, 48% from three. They were 20 of 42. The one number I love, and and I think I'm not alone in this. I know you're with this. like the – the play that encapsulates, I think, this entire number. So he's at 35 assists last night, but the play, I think the ball, Tatum has it, gives it to Smart, or no, he gives it to White, he gives it back to Smart, and then Tatum cuts, and Smart hits Tatum on that just real Another quick, got the basket. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. my God. It's like it's basketball sometimes is so easy. And sometimes they make it super complicated. And Tatum does a great job of making complicated shots. But when they move the ball like that and they attack, and like I, you know, we talked about this pre-show, uh, that Showtime doc uh, or that Showtime show with KG and Paul Pierce, how they went and saw practice, and like some of the things that Joe talked about. And you can see the offensive mindset of like, if you like, when you do this, they'll react like this, and if they react like this, here's this guy over here that you need to hit. Like that stuff, like when you consistently do that, and, and Scout talked about this in the, in, throughout the entire season, when you put teams in several different rotations, you know, the drive and kick game, drive and kick, drive and kick, and move the ball around, like defenses just can't guard like that for 24 seconds. And if you're just patient enough, you're going to get wide open looks. And Boston last night routinely, Dan, I thought, got wide open looks in the bucket, whether it was layups, which was a layup line to start the game, or it was some three-point range. I think it's always the hottest topic with this team right now is, oh, my God, they shoot so many threes. Last night was the perfect example of understanding the process behind the way the Celtics need to play in order to be successful at a high level. All Scouts said it during the broadcast. It could not be more true. All three-point shots are not created equal. I bet you if you looked last night, they probably took, what, over 43s? I'd say probably just about. 50% of their shots last night, I bet were, were three, were generated three point looks. The difference is there's a big, there's a, there's a noticeable difference of when guys are driving and kicking, but also when the ball isn't sticking offensively. We had way fewer, you know, isolation pull up threes, whether it's from Tatum or Jalen that are low percentage looks. How many more did we get where there's, three or four passes and it's a driving kick to a Tatum three or a driving kick to a Derek White three. So I think too many people get caught up on the volume number and not the process in which that volume is being generated. If you're telling me we're going to get, we're going to take 43s and 35 of them are going to be through ball movement and open looks. That is how everybody should want the Celtics to play. There will be nights where they go in. There will be nights that they don't go in. But if they're generating looks through good process, that should not worry you. It's sort of the fourth quarter offense we saw, you know, late against the Cavs at times, late against, um, you know, last night where when the ball doesn't move and guys are taking ill-advised threes, that's where the shooting becomes an issue. But when, you know, they have 35 assists, eight turnovers, four of the five starters have at least six assists, and then Brogdon has five assists off the bench, ball movement is contagious. And when they're playing that way and the shots are falling, it's like no team is going to be able to stay with them because few teams can match that type of volume while also defending at a high level. So last night was a great example of when the Celtics stay true to the process that they know works, they're almost unbeatable. And it's when they deviate from that is when things get dicey. Yeah. I mean, the the agreement I have is I don't mind the many three-point shots if they're just good shots. Like, people are like, oh, they take too many threes. Like, what are you going to do? Not shoot an open three? Look at the guys they have on the – look at the guys they have on the roster. Two of the top three three three-point shooters in the league currently sitting on the Celtics roster. And Sam Hauser is a guy who if he gets – you know, one goes in, Look out. Like, he loves playing in Atlanta. What's he, eight and nine from three in that building? 
And what are you going to do? Not let Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown take wide open three point shots. Like who's the guy that you don't want taking a wide open three point shot on this team? Is it smart sometimes? Maybe. Is it Derek White recently who's been a little, little down in th- from three point range? But like if they're all good shots, if they're all good looks and nobody's near them when they shoot them. Like who cares? Like that's a good shot. Sometimes shots goes in. Sometimes shots don't. And this goes back to something I said last year. Like Celtics just need to make, make baskets. Like it, I know it sounds stupid in the worst type of, uh, analysis possible. Like, oh, just like make them. Yeah. When you do all the right things, when the process is right and the result doesn't give you what you want, does it mean we need to change what we're doing? No, it just means like, hey, let's just to make or mislead sometimes. And I think what, what almost never gets brought up whenever there's a debate about, oh, they need to attack the rim instead of settle for all these threes. Well, the way you generate driving lanes and uh, and options for some of your best penetrators to get to the rim is to stretch defenses out. The only way you're going to stretch a defense out is if they have to respect you from the three-point line. Teams and defenses are too good now where if they just pack the paint, there are no driving lanes. If a team knows, oh, we don't have to worry about the Celtics shooting threes, they're just going to pack the paint. Think of the NBA Finals when, you know, White and Smart were sharing the floor together and there was no real three-point threat, how hard it was for Tatum and Brown to drive in the lane. How many times did we see them get stripped on drives? Look at the Miami series where they packed it in the paint. If you're not consistently shooting threes at high volume, you're not creating the driving lanes that your team needs. Then it's a pick your poison. If you have to have your defense stretched out, good luck driving or preventing Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown from getting to the rim. If you're going to pack the paint and leave open shooters, like you said, you have Brogdon leading the league. You have Horford there. You have good three-point shooting on and every position on the floor. So when people say, oh, the Celtics need to stop threes and they need to drive more, in reality, they need to shoot more threes to create the driving lanes to diversify their offense. And I just think that little note never really gets brought up when talking about this issue. The one thing, like, so uh, we've had uh, one of Kaufman's buddies, Seth Lamb, on the show a bunch, and Seth's really great with, like, I'm not as huge on the like the super analytical stuff. Seth's much better on that. And we were talking just in our group chat about how, especially against the Knicks, um, this team when they shoot threes, like those long rebounds often end up as offensive rebounds for the Celtics, especially when Rob's playing. And just mm-hmm. another opportunity to to run your offense again is a, a positive thing. Like just because they're again, not all threes are created equal, and it's just one of these things where their offense actually benefits from taking more threes, as you said, because driving lanes open, they get offensive rebound opportunities. Um, if it's Rob, he obviously can almost dunk anything. But, I mean, how many times have you seen, like last night, Smart had a ridiculous offensive rebound tap out. That's somebody. Yep. Big, like that stuff happens all the time. I mean, when Blake, like, first started really playing, I think it was, I forget the first game he, like, really, he started. And one of the things he did, he had like three tap outs in a row for three point shots. And I, I think the last one finally went in, but like that hustle effort stuff, like it, it mm. creates wide open shots for them. It creates another opportunity for them. And, I, and that's the one thing that I love. But you mentioned something uh, about the assists. I want to bring this up. Taylor Snow, we all know who he is if you follow the Celtics, uh, had this little tweet last night. 
Uh, quote, tonight was the third time in the past year the Celtics recorded at least 35 assists right. while committing fewer than nine turnovers. Huge, huge, huge. Prior to that, they've recorded only four such games in franchise history. Right. Sharing the ball extremely well. Ball's popping around. And that's that's the when this offense is really at its best. This team, I think, I think you're right. I think what we've done – because the season is long, right? It's so long. I think what we've done is just looked for so many things that we could scrutinize this team for. And, like, it, it doesn't help that the Bruins on the flip side are just beating the shit out of everybody right now and on a <laughs> record base in terms of wins. Yeah. And so it's like, well, you got, like, I honestly – I had to block the Adam Jones show after he said, like, why aren't the Celtics like the Bruins? I was like, that's the dumbest take I think I've ever heard what? in my entire life. Yeah, it's it's tricky because while I do think there is some of that, there's also validity to when the Celtics play mediocre basketball, they get mediocre results. And I think their last week, they were playing mediocre basketball. Where I think it gets a little crazy and is sort of, you know, we're making a mountain out of a molehill is thinking it's, you know, one week of basketball is some sort of referendum on their entire season and their entire approach. I think that's misplaced. If you want to get in on them on their defensive regression and they're not guarding anybody on the perimeter over the last week, you're valid. If you want to talk about their turnover issues and these blown leads, like those are all valid. But trying to frame things like, oh, everything we've seen, I always love it because when the Celtics are playing well, it's, oh, sample size, sample size. It's it's not a big enough sample size. Well, we have a 60-something game sample size where we're, they're one of the best teams in the NBA, but yet it's the three-game sample size when they lose that is really who they are. So yeah. that's just the that just doesn't add up. But I do think, you know, when this Celtics team plays like assholes and they do things that we know they shouldn't do and they play a way that we know – is not going to lead to successful basketball, it's valid to be like, what the fuck are you doing? But now when it's, you know, oh, they're frauds or, oh, they're everything we've seen since October is, you know, you know, smoke and mirrors. Like, that's just not true. They're just not playing or they just weren't playing to the standard that we know they can reach. Before we move on here, Dan, anything about last night's game that we didn't talk about that concerns you at all? Because again, the Hawks could yeah, be a potential definitely. first round. Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. And it's not really just last night. It's really post-break is number one for me has to be their late game rebounding. I oh, just, we're gonna, yeah. this is Missoula called it out publicly. Nothing changed. Every game that we've seen come down to these wires are all impacted by end of game defensive rebounding. That is a disaster. And that's with, you know, when Rob was even on the floor, it happened. If Al is on the floor, it's happening. We're just not seeing them really. I don't want to say like, you know, it's not that they're not trying, but like it looks like they're just not defending and rebounding with energy in the biggest moments, which is glaring because they've lost probably four or five games simply due to late game defensive rebounding. So for me, that's going to be an issue because – you could face a team with Philly with size, with Milwaukee with size. And I just, I think you're playing with fire. If you're in these close games and you can't finish defensive possessions clean, you're just asking. It reminds me like 
in that game five series against the uh, against the Bucks when they couldn't block out Bobby Portis for an offensive rebound on a missed free throw. Like those are the things that are going to lose you playoff games. We've seen nothing in the last week and a half that says they're going to get better at, at their defensive rebounding. Yeah, you know what's um, that? This team's offensive rebound or defensive rebounding was at certain points during the season so good that it was like. Uh, they because they they don't really offensive rebound a ton. They don't send a ton of guys that way. They like to get back on defense, which is fine. I'm totally fine with that. But one of the things that he was mentioning at a certain point during the season was like this team is so good at defensive rebounding, it's actually like suffocating other teams because they're just one and done. And when you don't hit the sh- when you don't hit shots, like you're just you're not getting offensive rebounding opportunities, and it's just creating a lot of a lot of positive things for Boston. But I totally agree with you on the late game rebounding stuff and I'm not quite sure what that is and I'm not quite sure what the answer is because like collectively like look at Tatum had 15 rebounds last night and he's been a great rebounder throughout the entire thing their defensive rebounding percentage across the league I'm pretty sure they're probably within the top two or three in the league so it's it's not like they can't defensive rebound it's just they're not defensive rebounding at the one time of a game where you think this is when you need to you know really be on your and it's just they're not boxing out they're not finding their man. They're watching the ball. It's just they're they're just playing with fire to a level where I just do not think that that is a successful path when the game is mad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Evan Valenti, Dan Greenberg, uh, coming in at, uh, I don't know, the first half hour of this podcast. No Adam today. He'll be back hopefully next week. But one of the things as we kind of get to the end of the season here, uh, and Dan was sort of talking about uh, at the end of his little rant there about defensive rebounding late in games, things that he's worried about. I wrote a bunch of things that I'm worried about down. Um, and, and it's not like I have, I have things that I'm not worried about to kind of like package together with these things. And Dan, the first thing I'm, I'm kind of worried about, and it's been kind of a hot topic um, for certain people. I'm a little worried about Joe Missoula. I'm not going to lie. And it has nothing to do with coaching per se, uh, but he made some headlines this week about sleeping with tape over his mouth. And I'm slightly concerned that that's a little too weird for me. Like I kind of like that Joe Missoula is a guy who wanted to sleep outside of the Fairmont uh, or uh, where he, it was a Fairmont where he coached this yeah. last. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to sleep outside of the gym. Like he wanted to, him and his wife live in this RV outside of the gymnasium so he'd get to work easier. Like that kind of stuff I love. But sleeping with tape over your mouth, like, I don't know, Dan. I'm I haven't little... heard of it, but I didn't even know it was a thing. But people people tweeted me, it's a real it's a real thing. And it's really effective if you struggle. I don't know if it was sleep apnea or some other, uh, some other sleep issue. Yeah. It was like th- these people, you know, swarm by it. So listen – for me, I feel like it would drive my brain crazy to know that my mouth was taped. But, you know, I guess that's just a level of, you know, that I just hadn't, didn't even know was possible. But it fits his Psycho Joe persona. But if you are someone who has issues and have tried this, I bet you it's really changed your life. So, yet again, Joe is just one step ahead. 
I got an Instagram ad for that, by the way. I was like scrolling through my timeline the other day. And it was a guy like promoting cable. Yeah, like I had never heard of it, but it's a real, it's a real thing that people do apparently. So I can't wait to get another cool. ad. Um, the one thing I will, I will throw out there that I am slightly concerned with Missoula. It has nothing to do with timeouts. Um, that I think that issue has been so overblown that we've actually forgotten like why he does that. Again, he wants guys to work through stuff and not rely on timeouts so much. I totally understand that. But like some of the lineups he's been throwing out recently have been a little wonky in my opinion. And sometimes you do stuff just to collect data on it and see if that's going to be a lineup that you're going to use later on. And sometimes, you know, uh, I love this Brad Stevens' uh, shake the snow globe thing. I love that saying. I thought it was a really excellent way to put it. Um, but sometimes I'm like, hey, um, Derek White's been like our second best player all game and he's riding the bench with four minutes to go. Like, what are we doing yeah. here? So is there any concern over Missoula's coaching, not coaching ability, but his, his, his rotations as we head towards the playoffs? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's situational, right? Like if there's a, if there's a situation where Derek, like when he had, when he admitted it after, I think it was the Knicks game, he's like, yeah, I probably should have had Derek on, on the court. Like, yeah, those are things that in the moment you look back on and you're like, okay, this is an area to learn from. But I think with what he's had to juggle, given the inconsistency of his lineups, I think the biggest thing for me will be once we get to the playoffs and Rob's hamstring is cleared, what do we do? Because the sample is large enough to suggest that for this version of the Celtics, they're at their best with Al as the only big and, you know, White filling in as that fifth starter. Now, if he wants it to be matchup dependent based on opponent, we'll have to see. But I think it's – when I think of his rotation, my bigger concern or worry is more around Grant Williams, is the fact that, you know, even if you don't think that he's been playing well, I just don't know if we can – if the Celtics can afford a postseason run – without a Grant Williams role. And for him to be getting DNP coaches' decisions, even with Blake playing great, you know, last night, I still think there has to be ways to where you don't lose him mentally because you're going to need him in a playoff series. So finding ways to buy him five, ten minutes a night, I just – I think you have to do it. I was going to wait for that, but I'll just dive into that. I am worried about Grant Williams. Um, And I was trying to, like – feel out the, is is Grant Williams worried about his next contract too much? Like, is that what's really factoring in here? Is it the injury um, that's, that's you know, his elbow injury that he just, you know, disclosed a couple a couple of days ago um, mm. that's been bothering him? Like, what, you know, I am seriously concerned because Grant is, if look, I know people don't like him personally. I know people don't like the fact that he talks a lot. I don't love it either, but it's part of his personality. It's part of the things so you're going to deal with. Um <laughs> They are need, they're going to need Grant. Like, there's no doubt. Like, he, for some reason, he does a great job against Giannis. Uh, that, 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 again, I, I don't understand how other people, um, can watch him and say, like, he's not going to be valuable. He does a great job against Giannis. Game seven was unbelievable. Um, they dared Grant to beat him and he just went out there and did it. He was great from the corners. He wasn't so great in the finals, obviously, when they made him get off the spot. Um, and he's been better this year at certain things, but like, he's just been dumb, been doing a lot of dumb stuff lately. Like the other day, I was, I was, I forget what game it was. And Boston had whatever defense they were playing in rotation. And he, and he got the ball and it was like the pass was very obvious, but it was just a, a beat too late 
I think it was the Knicks. The Knicks turned it over into a wide open transition dunk. And it's like, Grant, like you have to be, you have to be quicker. You have to react quicker. You can't just assume that everybody's going to act at a certain speed because the pass was there. I'm not sure if it was White or Hauser in the corner who was open for a wide open three, but it's like those little things, like if you don't do it at the right time to lead to points in the other end, we just can't do that. And you can't continue to give those things up. So I don't know if Grant's going to get his head out of his ass or what he's got to do. Yeah. Uh, but I'm with you. Like Missoula has to play him a little bit to get him back in rhythm again. Yeah. So it, it's, it's tricky because I wouldn't exactly say that his caliber have play warrants minutes on the floor. I would just say it doesn't. It flat out doesn't. But, but it also reminds me of the times where we wouldn't see Peyton Pritchard for a week and then he would get minutes and he would just look off and he would be making mental mistakes and his rhythm wouldn't be there. And it's like, yeah, when you're a role player, part of your success is getting that consistent run and feeling good and being involved and, and not having to look over your shoulder. When I watch Grant play, I feel like he's looking over his shoulder when he makes a mistake, like, oh, shit. He's like, now I'm never going to play. And look, he didn't even get off the bench last night. And I think the bigger problem there is when we were at the trade deadline, my guess is Brad operated with a certain assumption of what his front court rotation was going to look like. I do not think they were envisioning a world where we're giving Grant DNPs because if they weren't going to use him in the rotation to end the year, would they maybe have explored something at the trade deadline that then didn't happen because he was a productive player for you a month and a half ago. So that I think is the bigger picture of like, what does their front court depth now look like in a playoff series? If you're removing it, like our teams going to be able teams aren't going to respect Blake Griffin as a shooter, right? So Blake's great at setting screens. He's great at passing out of the pick and roll. But if we're thinking of spacing and we're thinking of heightened playoff defenses, you can't have too many minutes where Blake is on the floor and you just don't have to respect him from behind the arc. I just think you're asking for trouble. Yeah, and and the further they go in the playoffs, the more they're going to need Grant to do stuff. Like As much as I love Blake, he's been a great addition to the team. I think he's been great for locker room chemistry and all that stuff. Like I just I can't expect Blake to hold up in a seven game series against the Bucks. Like, right, it's just not a fair expectation for a veteran minimum player in his mid thirties right. to be that first big off the bench. Like that's just not fair to him. No, that's that's it's it's not. I'm and look, I love Grant in certain things, but like this has been, I don't know, it's just been a, <sighs> because you could have gotten something for Grant, obviously, but I would have preferred not to trade him and. You know, the contract that he's looking for slash he might get. Like, I know there's been a lot of talk about that, and I don't know if that's affected him at all, but, like, it, it, it seems a lot of mental stuff. It seems like mental mistakes. I and mean, just, it just seems like he's not as focused as he needs to be, you know, in real time. And that's the problem with the bench player. Like, and, and Peyton, as you mentioned, is a living example of this. Like, you have to come off the bench, like, on fire. You have to be ready to play. And, like, that's hard when – you don't know when your next minutes are coming, like when you're not a part of the rotation. So I mean, just look at it, compare it like this. Like not only is he a much better player, right? So that obviously factors it in. But look at Bobby Portis from the Bucs, right? He comes in, he knows his role, he gets his run, he produces. There's never a question of what he's going to be doing on a night-to-night basis. Right. The Celtics need to find or get back to that level of role consistency for Grant. 
half the battle of that is him actually earning that opportunity with his minutes. But that doesn't mean that he like can never miss a shot or anything. Like he just has to play in a way that we know is successful for him. So that means when he has his opportunities for clean catch and shoots, he has to take them without hesitation. When it comes to individual defense, he has to get back to guarding his position without giving up points or fouling. So like he owns half of the responsibility, but I do think there's something to be said where, you know, Missoula cannot bury him. Like, I want to see what happens against the Rockets tomorrow. If Grant isn't playing 25, 30 minutes tomorrow against a team like that, I think Brad has to be like, Joe, what are you doing? You can't bury this guy at this moment in the year. Yeah, because you're going to need him in about 14 more games to really play significant minutes for you. No matter who the matchup is, like he's just need to play. I wonder if like, because he's been really good at, you know, the shot fake, put it on the deck, drive to the basket. Like, he did that a lot in the first half of the season. I wonder if it made him a little more gun-shy. from Because, like, last year, he was just basically a stand in mm. three-point shooter, like, staying alone in the corner, just catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot. I wonder if this new, like, off-the-dribble game that he's been trying to experiment with has maybe made him a little less gun-shy. Like, like oh, if – if I like sometimes like Grant will up fake and there's like nobody even there. And it's like, dude, right. just, just shoot the shot. Like, what are you I doing? I think it's it's tough because attacking closeouts is very important for a, a stretch big like him, given how the Celtics play. That was something that helps him become a tougher guarding, you know, like, it just becomes more problematic for defenses if if Grant is gonna have the ability to put the ball on the floor. Where it becomes a detriment is when it becomes a crutch for him and he changes how he plays. So he has to try to find that balance of this is a tool in his toolbox that he can use and be effective with when needed, but it can't come at the cost of playing a way that brings the team the most value. And I think that's where he struggles is just finding the balance between attacking closeouts hard and just shooting the ball with confidence and not overthinking it. I want to move on to a thing that I'm not worried about because we've talked a lot, a lot of things that we are worried about. Things I'm not worried about, Jason Tatum, period, end of story. Like, no, never. Not, not even concerned. He, he, people were like, oh, man, is he hurt? Is this and that? Like, then he just came back and scored 30 in two straight games, 35, 15, and 6 last night. Uh, Taylor Snow, once again, coming in with a great stat. Tonight was the second time this season that Jason Tatum has had at least 34, 15, and 6 in a game. He's the fourth Celtic player Logged multiple such games in a full career, let alone in a single season. Bird, Cowens, Havlicek, the only others in Celtics history to do so. Jason Tatum's really good. And one thing that I wanted to bring up was Draymond, again, this is Instagram doing me a solid, because otherwise I probably wouldn't have found this. Draymond said something the other day on his podcast that was very interesting about the MVP case. And, like, we're all obsessed with the three guys, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, and... One thing that Draymond said was like, look, I know he's probably not going to win and he's just not getting talked about enough, but like Tatum definitely belongs in that conversation because Tatum is doing, and this is the way he put it, that was very interesting. Tatum is doing less to get more. What does he mean by that? Tatum is taking less shots because he could, he was like, Draymond was like, he could easily average six or eight more points a game if he really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like one of these things, Ada, I do not want to play with you right now. I know, I know, I understand. Um, but this, my dog is just handed me a toy and looked at me like it's playtime. Well, um, I had to lock him out of my office. I yeah, I hear, I hear you, I hear you. 
Um, but like he was like Tatum could easily average six to eight more points a game if he really wanted to, but he takes a step back and allows his other teammates to to cook and, and to get you know to get theirs essentially. And because mm-hmm. he's doing that, it's allowing his team to grow a little bit more, and that's a really smart thing to do. And he was also mentioning how Tatum looks like a guy who only wants to win a title. He doesn't care about anything else. The way and I've said this, Kaufman said this, you've said this, everybody said this. The way Tatum and Brown have carried themselves this year, a little different than in years past. And like it's to me, maybe not noticeable to everybody, to me, but it's it's super noticeable that him and Jalen are really, really focused. And I think when they hit the playoffs here, Tatum's just gonna Yeah, I mean it, he even said it to Forsberg uh immediately after the game. Forsberg was like, Hey, you're now, you know, the leader in total point score. Like, does this matter to you? Without hesitation, first thing he said, don't care about MVP, don't care about all NBA. Like, he's like, I need to get back to the finals and I need to get over the hump and win it. And like anybody who's paid attention since media day, that's the only thing that Tatum and Brown have cared about. And them answering a question when asked about MVP is not them caring about MVP more than a championship. That's just, you know, when the Celtics are good and there's no drama, that's what the usual people, you know, people you expect, that's what they're going to go with. And that's fine because, you know, when there's nothing to criticize about, you have to fabricate, you know, like, like Dan Shaughnessy's column is a perfect example of everything that's wrong with the narrative around Jason Tatum. Now, having said that, I am slightly concerned when it comes to his approach. Like, I don't know that – I don't worry that he's not going to show up. I think we're past the point of worrying about that with Tatum and Brown. They have been in enough big games together. They've had enough playoff heartache to where I don't really worry about that. But we are still susceptible to hit a – you know, six of 19 type game. And I think finding ways to still win around those Tatum performances is something that we're going to have to see because, you know, while he has shown up in these last two games, he is doing a little bit of everything. You know, I do still want to see him when it comes to the playoffs, find a way to, you know, get to the line like he has done a great job this season, but also, you know, find ways to be more efficient. And that doesn't mean don't shoot threes anymore because he has to take threes. But I do want to see if he can avoid those, you know, six of 21s or these, you know, three of 15s that no matter what else happens, those are just too much of a black hole to to really just be effective. Evan Valenti, Dan Greenberg. Dan, I think we, uh, we've addressed the glare that was currently on your screen. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. A little ghosty at one point. <laughs> I don't know what happened with the sun or whatever, but you've repositioned yourself and you look uh, a little bit better here. Moving on with more things that we're worried about. This has been something that I think everybody's been worried about for the entire season. And Rob Williams not being healthy right now just accentuates this. Whatever's gone with Grant Williams, we don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody's got lingering stuff and it's health. This team, from a health standpoint, you know, that's going to be the big, the big factor for me for how far this team goes. If they're totally healthy, 100%. Look, if you go to FanDuel, uh, they're the, the number one team in terms of odds, the favorite in the Eastern Conference, and they're, you know, among the favorites to win it all, right? And that is only because they are 100% healthy. 
Um, I am slightly worried about Rob. I think as we all are, I think didn't Lonzo have the same procedure as Rob and like hasn't played and might not, or a similar procedure to Rob. I think so. But his, his recovery, I mean, he couldn't even run like six months later or nine months later. It's so weird. It's just weird. And it's just something I keep in the back of my head because <laughs> I'm just worried about Rob as we all are. But the, I, my main concern about this Celtics team as we finish out the last 14 games of the playoffs is health. Um, yep, has I, to be. Has to be. I don't know how we get over this as a fan base. I, I don't think it's possible. Um, there's this, you arrest guys for the playoffs versus seeding thing that gets in the way. You know, did they mm-hmm. obviously being a top two seed is what you want. I think Boston is focused on that. Um, but at some point, like getting guys nicked up and banged up 14 games away from the playoffs, like it's just, it's tough. It's a tough thing to manage. I feel for Missoula in this particular regard, but like, you know, with Brogdon and Horford's, you know, up there in age, uh, you know, Tatum is taking a lot of abuse and, you know, he's clearly going to have to deal with something in the off season. Jalen's still wearing the mask. Like obviously smart at some points, probably can get something uh, in terms of, of a nagging injury because he throws his body around. Like this is my biggest concern going forward here, Dan, and I don't think it's even close. No. Well, yeah, it's definitely not even close, but they're sort of, you know, it's a pick your poison. They're not, they don't have a big enough cushion. There's obviously no cushion considering they're, they're catch, trying to catch Milwaukee, but the easiest way to calm those fears is to win. The more you win, the, the more 15 point leads you don't blow that you get to give all your rotation players fourth quarters off is only going to help. You can't predict injuries. You don't know, like, it could happen just by going up for a rebound and someone pulls a hamstring. Like, there's just no way to say, okay, if we do this, this, and this, we'll have zero injuries. Like, that's just not basketball. But if you win and you play well and you build in those in-game rest opportunities and you find ways to not have to give guys heavy minutes, you give yourself a good chance to come out relatively clean. You know, if they decide, listen, the health is more important than the seeding and they punt on certain games, like, I don't know, that's a dangerous game to play because you never know what can happen in a playoff series. I just, it's something we're all just going to have to, you know, hold on to our butts about for the last 14 games and throughout the entire playoffs. Because even if they enter the playoffs healthy, if someone gets hurt in a playoff series, you know, that's going to be a big time issue. But I also think that's the case with, you know, almost every other contender in the NBA. Like, for example, if you if Brooke Lopez gets hurt from Milwaukee, that's going to be extremely detrimental to how they play on both ends. If, you know, Aaron Gordon gets hurt for the Nuggets or, you know, uh, James Harden pulls a hamstring for the Sixers, like the Celtics aren't alone in the idea that health is going to be very important to them. I just think they are one of the few teams that when they are healthy, the level they reach is just a little bit higher than other teams. Totally great. Uh, next one. And I'm going to put, put these two together because I just think that it makes the most sense to do this together. Things I'm worried about. Derek, Derek White's three point shot since the all-star game. Uh, not great. 26 and a half percent on 4.5 attempts per game. Pre, uh, pre all-star 38 and a half percent. We all knew that wasn't going to stay. Uh, just because th- it would be an outlier. But things mm-hmm. I'm not worried about, literally everything else about Derek White. Like, he's, like, my favorite player this year. He mm-hmm. has been so amazing um, to the point where, like, 
the double big lineup, I think we've experimented with enough. I think Derek White, like being a starter, just to get them started the like with the right energy. Um, he needs to close games because of the way he moves the basketball, he attacks the rim, him defensively is on like everything about Derek White about his three point shot is just awesome. And if he could shoot thirty eight percent from three for the entire season, he'd be an all star, no question. I'm honestly not even that worried about it, though, mostly just because a lot of his threes come within good process, right? Yeah. Like, the thing that I I get nervous about when it comes to White is his three-point approach like we saw in the finals, where he's hesitant to even take it. Like, if he's catching and shooting a wide-open three off good dribble, you know, good dribble penetration or good ball movement, and it doesn't go in, that doesn't bother me. When he doesn't take the threes – is when it's like, okay, Derek, like, remember, you have a large enough sample size this season of being an above league average shooter. It's okay for you to take those with, with confidence. And I think we saw him do that last night. And he was, you know, I think what, either two or four or three or five, something like that. Um, so I'm just worried more about him not falling into a bad approach because he's missing as opposed to the misses themselves, because he is not someone that I think takes low quality three point attempts. Whereas you have, you know, Tatum takes some tough ones. Jalen takes some tough ones. Smart at times takes ill-advised ones with white and Brogdon. I feel like all of their threes come off good process. So you kind of just have to live with the result. Yeah. Brogdon sometimes in the early part of the season would kill me with these early, like couple dribble move and the shot clock threes that he used to take. He's gotten better at that. And so I'll give him a lot yeah, of credit. Now all of his come off, you know, like that one in the corner last night where he had probably 35 seconds to set his feet and shoot it from the corner. It's like, yeah, you know, not only is he shooting 45% on the year, but he's probably shooting like 65% on corner threes where you give him 15 seconds to set his, his feet and whatnot. I'll give you another one I'm not worried about, and it's just Al Horford again in general. I think Al's been incredibly good this year. He's been, again, he's 36. He's obviously, you know, getting up there, but everybody's worried about his age and everything. He's I, going into last night, he was 115th in the NBA minutes. So they've monitored him and, and kept his minutes down as best they could. They haven't played him in back to back. So that's been great. And in, in his, Three-point shot is, like, again, that Philly game was like an out-of-body experience where he just started bringing the Celtics back by himself against his old team from three-point range. It was it was special. And I think we all know, at least I think most of us know, that Al's defense will change in the playoffs. He will get better at that because he's just saving himself. And certain people, um, you know, want to make a big deal about how, how Al isn't doing this as well and this as well and this as well. And it's like, guys, we know what's going on here. This is management. This is load man- active load management during games. Um, you'll, you'll see a different player complain. Cause last year we saw it. Last year it was like, where, where was this guy? Yeah. I think we see it again. It's, I mean, I didn't know what to think about their load management plan with him just because with Rob out and how thin their front court potentially could have been and just how important he is to their success. It's like, man, you know, if they're only going to be getting, you know, 65 to 70% of the availability of Al, right. With no back to backs and on, you know, lower ish minutes, but here we are mid March. There's no denying that it has absolutely worked for him to be at his best when it matters most. What we've had basically his last 10 games is playoff Al Horford. You know, he's shooting 60% from the floor, 
high 50s from three on good volume. Like, if this is the Al Horford the Celtics are going to get, which he's been in every playoff run that he's played as a member of this team, they're going to win the title because he's just – if he's never going to miss from three and then you factor in, you know, the bumped up defensive effort because he's not going to have to limit himself, they just become too hard to guard. And just, you know, what he brings on both ends at his age, it's just like you said, there's zero complaints. I don't even care when he gets beat off the dribble because it's like, you know, yeah, that's going to happen in March. It's not going to happen in May and June if they're fortunate enough to get there. So, you know, he's been great. And I think even if he regresses 10% in a playoff series, that's still more than enough to give you to to ultimately win the whole thing. Yeah, and him and White are the big keys to making that that only one big lineup work the best. To like, you know, I love Rob. Rob gives you different different stuff, but like Al's ability to space the floor and give them four around one or five out is going to be really tough to guard as we get further along here. Uh, and I guess I'll, I'll just wrap it up with this. Um, things I'm, I'm worried about and not worried about, things I'm worried about matching up with Miami in round one. I can't do a seven-game series again. I just really can't. I just don't want any part of it. Jimmy is a killer. I respect the hell out of that guy. I think Spolster is a top two coach in the league. I think he's excellent. Um, the, the zones they throw at you always screw things up. Um, I hate playing them. I want no part of, of them in round one. I would prefer not to see them at all in this playoffs if it were possible. And on the flip side of that, I don't sweat Philly at all. Like I just, I just don't. And I know, I know people are like, well, how could you say that? I'm like, I don't know. I would just, every time they play that, what the Caesar eight and one against the Sixers in the playoffs since Tatum and Bede have started playing basketball in, in the NBA. So I'm not sweating that at all. Either one of those am I crazy on? Um, I don't know. I just think when it comes to this team, like, I just think putting any focus on the opponent is just, it's pointless because any everything is going to just come down to, can the Celtics be the best version of themselves, right? Like, if the Celtics play to their potential – Philly shouldn't be an issue. Miami shouldn't be an issue. You know, Atlanta, it doesn't matter. Like Brooklyn, it doesn't matter. It's where it gets into trouble is if the South, and this is something you didn't mention, which is pro, which is shocking. And it's, and it's my maybe biggest worry outside of health is turnovers. If the Celtics don't take care of the ball, they're susceptible to be beat by any of the top eight seeds. I don't care who you are. If they don't, if they take care of the ball, they play the right way and they play to their potential, there's nobody in the conference that should keep you up at night. And that includes Milwaukee. And I think that sounds crazy given how good Milwaukee is, but it's a matchup thing. The Celtics match up with basically every team in in, in their conference when they play to their potential. If you're sitting here saying, man, if the Celtics get the one seed and the, and the Heat get the eight seed, I don't know how to feel – to me, that means you don't really believe that if the Celtics play at their best and to their potential, that they can win the title. And I think that's that, the bigger concern. My rebuttal to that would be Miami just seems to find ways to take Boston out of their best basketball more yeah, than but, but that's what I mean. So it's like if how much of that is is Miami and how much of them is just like brain dead basketball? Like how many of those turnovers were scheme related and were opposed to just like you know, not trying to do too much or trying to do things that you're not the best at 
And I just think having gone through that last year, the fact that they still have turnover issues is a bigger concern to me as opposed to who the opponent is. Because if they turn it over against Milwaukee or if they turn it over against Miami or the Knicks or the Sixers, they're going to lose to those teams. They're going to be susceptible, I should say, to lose to those teams. If they don't do those things that we know is a losing formula, none of like Miami doesn't have the offense to hang with you if you just avoid stupid mistakes. And I think there's a chance that those could be, you know, uh, a product of Miami's defense. But I also think it's just the Celtics playing like idiots. And as long as they just don't do that, you won't have to worry about those problems creeping up. Yep. So basically at this point, if the Celtics don't play like idiots, everything's going to be just fine. They just stay healthy. Don't play like idiots. Life's going to be great. And again, I'm just, I'm jacked up to the playoffs. I'm, I'm, running out of steam here in the regular season. I just want I, playoff basketball is amazing. And I'm just, I'm ready to rock and roll. Dan Greenberg, Barstool Sports. Thank you so much for joining me here today. As, as always, man, again, we'll probably have you on another time, probably during the playoffs where we yeah. sweat some things out. No question because, you know, playoffs uh, live and die with every single shot. I know Dan does. I know I do. I know a lot of you do. Uh, it's just the way it goes, it, but that's not even point. every shot. It's it's every dribble, right? Every it's literally dribble, every right. dribble. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta make uh, we gotta make it a little bit more intense than that. Yeah, every single dribble is literally taking seconds off my life. So thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, this show is brought to you in part by FanDuel and HelloFresh. Don't miss your chance to get two hundred dollars in bonus bets, win or lose. Visit FanDuel.com/slash/Boston and make every moment more on America's number one sports book. Again, that's uh, FanDuel.com slash Boston. You get a uh, free $200 bonus bet. You place uh, your first $5 bet and a deposit of $10. And also HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com uh, slash Beat60. Uh, Beat60, the promo code. You get 60% off plus free shipping. That's Dan Greenberg. I'm Evan Valenti. Kaufman will see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Ciao. Yeah.